Father in heaven, this song speaks about your coming. And uh, for the godless, your coming will come as an overwhelming surprise. And we don't want to be in that group. We want to be ready for you to come. And we want to be ready each day. We don't want to live our lives on time excitement. But we do want to be living our lives with Jesus excitement. Having you in our lives, changing our lives. And that uh, others could see Jesus in us. So bless us to that end and bless this message. Group of messages in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Each week over the past few months, we've been increasingly reminded of the last day events predicted in the Gospels, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and then also the books of Daniel and Revelation, at least I have. As I've been watching the various events, I've been impressed more and more that the time of the end is not near, it is here. And uh, so I've had a growing conviction, especially as I've seen week after week kind of markers that point to things that we see in Scripture. So, you know, um, look in your Bibles at Matthew 24 and verse 7. Well, first of all, first of all, our series is on what's called the abomination of desolation. We get that phrase really from verse 37 and 38 and then verse 15, 37 and 38 of Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets, stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you with children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not you were not willing. See, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we're told that he actually said this with weeping. And it was like an unusual weeping. It wasn't like even his normal crying. He was so um, moved as he looked from the Mount of Olives over at the temple where later Titus would come and would be looking as the temple was destroyed. So that's where we get that phrase, your house is left to you desolate. And of course the disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple in verse 2. 24, he says, Do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, now one stone shall be left here on another that shall not be thrown down. Now, if you want to read a great account of, of what the temple looked like, read the first chapter in the book, Great Controversy. There's a book by an author named Ellen White, and in the first chapter, Great Controversy. If you're watching online and you don't have that book, you can look it up um, online and look up The Great Controversy by Ellen White, and you'll be able to see, you'll be able to download it, you'll find it somewhere. And the first chapter is called The Destruction of Jerusalem. And basically that's the desolation of Jerusalem. You'll be able to read about it. It's about 38 pages long, 
It is very good to read, though. I would recommend you read it. So then in verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. So this is where we get the sermon series title. We're going to look three times here at this theme of the abomination of desolation. But by way of review, let's look there back in chapter 24, verse 7. Nation will rise against nation, so there'll be ethnic tension, a time of racial unrest before Jesus comes. This has been seen throughout history, but once again, it will be a flashpoint at the end of time. There'll be a special stirring of ethnic tension. Do we think we've seen some of that recently? Secondly, verse 27 as well. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Pestilences. Have we had any pestilence recently? You may have heard of pestilences. You may have heard of them throughout time in history. There were pestilences just before Rome came to um, destroy Israel. But this pandemic we're living in now is really kind of unprecedented. Around the world, every nation have computer programs and tracking things. I think it's also a pandemic, not just a disease as, a, as much as fear and uncertainty. If people fighting over masks whether to wear a mask or not, or medication. People say, no, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about <laughs> with that medication. And they say, no, he does, and it goes back and forth. And then science studies come up, and science studies come up, and they seem to be somewhat um, less objective than we would like. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And... Jesus says the way to deal with the stress and anxiety is read Daniel the prophet and understand the abomination of desolation. Kind of an interesting prescription we're going to study about. And his attitude, you know, is one that we need to, to look at. Next, verse 9. They'll be, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and be hated by all nations for our namesake. And many will be offended and will betray one another and hate one another. Do we live in a time when people are easily offended? Offended about things that you talk about in the past. You don't understand my past. Offended about things in the present. Offended about the things you're going to say about what you're going to do in the future. <laughs> people are on edge. They're offended. And, of course, Jesus, you know, he had that spirit of, Father, forgive them. They don't know what's going on. They, they don't know what they're doing. And then, of course, that time of betrayal. Children turning against parents, parents against children. Politicians against one another. <laughs> Politicians against appointees that they may have put on the Supreme Court. They didn't do what I thought they would do. And, uh, you know, 
How did Jesus relate to that? He had a communion service and he did things that totally shocked people. Their time of betrayal, he did something that only a servant would do that loved them deeply. (laughs) And then a time of false prophets and also false dreams. Someone sent me, about 10 people sent me the same dream this week. So what do you think of this dream? Uh, And I listened to it and I said, it's a false dream. It had a mixture of truth and error. And we're told by the pen of inspiration at the end of time, there'll be multiplied dreams that are coming. And you'll know whether or not to listen to them by understanding the truth. And if they just have a little bit of error, you don't listen to them. Truth mixed with error. Jesus dealt with these kind of things by saying... How readest thou? And it is written. And this is what we need to be doing as well. Reading and understanding what Christ has written. And that's why we're studying this series. Then it says next, verse 12, because of lawless, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So there'll be an abounding lawlessness. Abounding means filled up. And we noticed in our last couple messages that America, the high court, is increasingly making rules that are against God's law. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. Some people believe that um, the Ten Commandments should be used to rule the nation. I don't think you could use the Ten Commandments to rule the nation in America because America would not be free if you did that. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It would be a Judeo-Christian nation. But it's freedom for all people. It's not any one religion in America. It's not the majority religion. We'll talk about that when we talk about separation of church and state. Which is directly related to the abomination of desolation. So we'll look at that. So in a time of abounding lawlessness, however, where there's formal rejection of God's law, there's going to be abounding lawfulness within God's people. They're going to have God's law written on their hearts and their minds. (laughs) And that's his great objective. We talked about that. And then comes our text. Well, two other texts before then. But he who endures, verse 13, to the end shall be saved. So we need to have that endurance of being able to last until the very end. And they shall be saved. And this gospel, verse 14, this is what's going to keep us busy as we're coming to the end of time. Of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So it's not just preached. Did you notice that? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world as a what? So what's the difference between preaching and witnessing? So so it's not just proclamation. It's an actual transformation in the lives of people. 
So what happens at the end of time is that these people that actually are transformed and they are as much an evidence of Christ's second coming as earthquakes, famines, pestilence. In fact, they are the crowning evidence that Christ is ready to appear. And this is one of the signs that has always kind of been lacking. And the Advent movement is meant to prepare a people for Christ's second coming. It's not based on time excitement. It's based on witness, a transformation in character. How many of you want to have a transformation in character? Then right after that comes our text. Therefore, in other words, in light of all this, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So, to understand this, we need to look back in the book of Daniel. And let's look, first of all, back in Daniel chapter 9. We want to look at the abominations of desolation spoken of in the book of Daniel in our series this weekend, and there are four of them. So we'll look at two of them tonight. I know it's rather ambitious, but we'll look at two of the abominations. And here's what I'm going to suggest. If we understand the, the abominations that cause the desolations, then maybe we can avoid those abominations through the grace of God and uh, be able to stand through whatever desolation comes. How many think that's a good idea to look at it that way? So go back with me in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2. We'll read verse 1 and, one and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So, not just one desolation, but desolations of Jerusalem. So, here you have this picture the abomination that caused Jerusalem to be desolated. Why was it in desolation? Why was it going to be taken captive for 70 weeks? What had happened? Well, you know, you look down there, verse 5, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. Verse 7 says we have sinned, right? Um, and verse, or rather verse 8 at the end, we have sinned. And then verse 11, it says again, We have transgressed your law, departed so as not to obey your voice. We have sinned, into verse 11. Verse 14, we have not obeyed his voice, into verse 14. Verse 15, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. How many can see a, thin, a theme? So the abomination that caused desolation was the sins of Israel. The sin of my people Israel. He's crying out. That's what Daniel is saying. So, what were the sins? Go back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 8. 2 Samuel chapter 8. And let's look here. 2 Samuel in chapter 8. I'll wait till it looks like you're there. Second Samuel chapter 8. 
Um, excuse me, I might mean, I may mean 1 Samuel. Um, let's look here. 1 Samuel chapter 8, sorry. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old, he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of the first one was Joel, the name of the second Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons, verse 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 8, did not walk in his ways. So they took bribes and they perverted justice. So what happens? The Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the... Um, uh, so they said to him, verse 4, look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So they said, we no longer want a theocracy We no longer want God showing us what to do. We want to have a king. We want a human to rule over us instead of divinity. Now, how many think you're you're cruising for a problem if you have someone else in charge besides God? And uh, the Lord said, you know, and Samuel was a little upset. Verse 6 displeased Samuel, and he said, Give us a king to judge us. And he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Why did they reject him? Verse 8, According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served, what? Other gods. So they are doing to you also. So Samuel tried to plead with them. He said, look, verse 11, this will be the the behavior of a king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots. And they'll be his horsemen and some will run before his chariots. And he'll appoint captains and plow his ground and reap his harvest. He'll take your daughters, verse 13, to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields, your vineyards. He'll take a tenth of your gain, verse 15. He'll take a tenth of your sheep, verse 17. Verse 18, and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, we will have a king over us so that we may be like all the other nations. And our king would judge us and go out to battles and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And so Samuel said to the men of Israel, everyone go to his city, and then he helped choose a king. Did the kings work out that well? (laughs) Look back in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17 actually had foretold... (coughs) that this would happen. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 14. When you come to the land, Deuteronomy 17 and verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses from among your brethren. You shall set a king over you that you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But... This is what I want to tell the kings. This is the opposite of what they did. They shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself. Did the king seem to have a problem with this? Big problem. Lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he multiply silver and gold for himself. 
In fact, Solomon, guess how much gold he had coming in a year? 666 talents of gold. 666, which is the first time in the Bible that number shows up. 666. Kind of interesting. It shall be when he sits on the throne, verse 18 of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book and from the one before the priest and the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and the statutes, that his heart might not be lifted up above his brethren, and he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left. He may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and the children of Israel in the midst of Israel. So what was he supposed to do? All these things. And he was supposed to read God's law and was to inform him, did this happen? It did not happen. Go back to Daniel chapter 1 because we're trying to figure out what was the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet that had them in captivity for 70 years. Go to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of his God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So here you have these kings, Jehoiakim, there was Jehoiachin, Jehoiakim, and all these others. And these kings are being taken captive. Why are they being taken captive? Because they were in apostasy. They were in apostasy, right? And this is what's going to cause the desolation of Israel. Go back, though. I want to look at some specifics with you. How many of you like to look at some specifics of what really the sins were that caused the desolation? Okay, let me, let's go back to, to uh, 2 Kings 22. Look at this. I think as we study this, we're going to see some interesting things. Now, by the way, this is going to be odd. You're going to say, why are you studying this? But it's because it seems like all the desiccations are, uh, the, uh, all these things are going away. What was the guy's name? who was taken up to uh, Babylon. Look at Jehoiakim, right? Let's go to chapter 23 and show you his name um, in verse 35 of chapter 23. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh. So he was talking to Pharaoh. um, And he began to reign. He's 25 years old. In verse 36, 35 and 36 of 2 Kings chapter 23, and then verse 24. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. And he turned and rebelled against him, and the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites. So here you have Nebuchadnezzar coming against him. So you have Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin in verse 6 of chapter 24. And then... You have um, the king of Babel bringing them, all these people, captive, the captivity of Jerusalem. Um, In chapter 25, they came and encamped around Jerusalem. So how many can see this? How many can see that these kings were the ones that had done evil? Now let's look back and see what the evil was they did. Because if we know what the evil was they did, we'll know what to watch out for in terms of abominations that might cause desolations in our own life. Okay? 
So go back, and I want to show you an interesting text. Um, verse 26 of chapter 23. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath, with which his anger was aroused against Judah, because of all the provocations which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I removed Israel and will cast off the city of Jerusalem which I have chosen and the house which I said my name shall be there. In other words, your house is going to be left to you what? Desolate. Now, why does it say nevertheless there in verse 26? Because there was this young king who had come and tried to turn things around and his name was Josiah. Chapter 22, verse 1, he was eight years old when he became king. Verse 2, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And verse 3 and 4, he goes up to Hilkiah the high priest. He goes into the house of the Lord to repair the damages of the house. Verse 5, and to repair the house of the Lord. And while he was there, verse 8, Hilkiah the priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Who was supposed to be reading the book of the law? King, King but it had been lost. It was in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Saphon and he read it. And Saphon went to the king and brought the king word and said, Your servants have gathered the money and found in the house. And they found this book. Now, verse 11, the king heard the words of the book of the law. He tore his clothes. And he was upset. Go inquire of the Lord for me for the people of Judah. Verse 13, concerning the words of this book. Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book and not done according to what's written in it concerning us. This is what was going to, the abomination. Remember, the kings were supposed to do this. They were supposed to keep the law before the people and he wasn't doing it. Or the others had not done it. And Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam, Akbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to, verse 14, Holder the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah. So here you have now they not only discover the Bible, but they study, they discover a prophetess. They discover the spirit of prophecy. And this king discovers the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. <laughs> and then what happens? You know, God really loved what he was doing. Verse 19, your heart was tender. You humbled yourself before the Lord, and I have heard. I spoke against this place and its inhabitants that they would become a desolation and a curse. But you tore your clothes and wept before me. So I've heard you, says the Lord. I will gather you to your fathers. You shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes will not see the desolation I will bring on this place. So they brought back words of the king. Look at that. He comes. He finds the Bible. He finds the spirit of prophecy. He realizes he's not going to have to see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Even though Daniel the prophet wasn't there yet. You know, this is looking back, right? This is why they were taken captive to to Babylon. Would you like to see the exact sins that he reversed? I'm going to show them to you because they're the exact sins in the church and in the world today. First of all, do we have a sin of people not reading the Bible in the spirit of prophecy? Are people reading the Bible in the spirit of prophecy as they should? What do you think? Uh, Maybe some somewhere. Faithful Josiahs and whatnot. But Is the church full tonight? (laughs) Maybe it is. Maybe we have thousands watching online that couldn't make it. Maybe there was a traffic jam on I-80. 
I don't know about you, but the last several months, I've been studying my Bible a lot. How many of you have been studying your Bible any more than you did before? I've been looking at the prophets. I read Micah today. I read, I mean, I'm not the example, but I'm just saying we need a revival of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy reading. So what did he do? He read, verse 2, and then he read in their hearing of the elders. He went to the house of the men of Judah, the priests and the prophets, small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. And then he called them to, you know, commitment. And then verse 4, he commanded Hilkiah the priest and the priest to bring out of the temple all the articles that were made for Baal and Ashereth and all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. So what does he do? He gets rid of Baal, articles for Baal worship. Baal worship was sexually immoral worship in the temple. It was grotesque, fertility cult stuff. I won't describe it to you except for to say it was the melding of sexual immorality with worship. We actually today have churches that are teaching that sexually perverse things that are called abominations in the Bible are to be accepted into the church. And these churches would rather talk about social justice. I'm not against having justice in society. Don't get me wrong. Instead of these things, because they're not politically correct. And actually, in their social justice talks, as I've been listening to them, they actually think that standing up for people that are involved in these abominations is part of social justice. This is like having a church that's not willing to get rid of Baal worship. Verse 5, he removed the idolatrous priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, to the hosts of heaven. So they had the fertility, but they also had sun worship, sun worship, Sunday worship, moon day or Monday worship, moon day worship. He brought out the wooden image of the house of the Lord to the book, book, brook Kidron. Remember there was an abomination of desolation when you see it standing in the holy place. This is what was happening, all in the holy place. And he burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes. Some people say, you should not push down statues or monuments. But God said, no, get rid of Baal. He's a monument. Get rid of him. Get rid of those images towards Baal. Get rid of those phallic symbols. He tore down the ritual booths. Look at this, verse 7. He tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons who were in the house of the Lord. What? The perverted persons in the house of the Lord, verse 7 in my margin says, the Kedashim, those practicing sodomy and prostitution and religious rituals. Ami thinks this is a little intense. But is this something that happened not just in that culture, but in other cultures? Is, is this something that might be going on? So you had these false ordinations of people that were promoting false worship and you had people not reading the Bible with the spirit of prophecy involved in sexual immorality. Then it says this. 
Verse 8, he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. He broke down the high places at the gates where the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city. Nevertheless, verse 9, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. What were they saying? Look, you know what? God blesses our worship. God is with us. Sure, we might say things differently about sexual immorality and practices and whatnot, but God's with us. He created us that way. We are unleavened. We eat unleavened bread. We're not sinful. What we're doing is not sinful. You're the problem. Can you see that this is an abomination? And this is the abomination that led to the desolation. This is the abomination that led to desolation. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but look at verse 19. Joshua took away all the shrines of the high places and the cities of Samaria where the kings had made to provoke the Lord to anger. He did to them according to the deeds that he had done in Bethel. And he executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them and he returned to Jerusalem. He executed the priests. Someone said to me just before I was speaking tonight, how do you explain about God killing in the Old Testament? This is bad. This is bad. But remember, this is God. This is a theocracy. This is Josiah, and God is directing him, right? How many think this is kind of interesting? And I happen to think that we should, we should have baptisms. What are baptisms today? A symbol of death, burial, and resurrection. How many things we say as many baptisms as possible? That people who are involved in all these things, they die to self and they live to Christ. Now, I'm not talking about physically killing people, but I'm talking about spiritual rebirth. How many think we need spiritual rebirth? Because we live in a time of the abominations that are causing what? Desolation. And then notice what happened after this happened. After they figured out what the abominations of desolation were, look at verse 22. 21. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as is written in the, this book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged in Israel, nor in the days of the judges of Israel till the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, he's now 26 years old, the Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists and household gods and idols, all the, what's it say next? <clears throat> Abominations which were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. These then were the abominations that had caused desolation when they were taken out of the way. What was put in their place? The law of God. And Christ, because the Passover was pointing towards who? So Jesus Christ and the law of God and the spirit of prophecy and purity and can you say hallelujah? When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Look, we should not only understand what he is saying about how they went into captivity because, that, because we need to understand maybe our entire culture and our church and maybe even we ourselves are involved in some of these abominations. Let the reader understand. It's interesting to me that some of the very things mentioned in this chapter are happening in the church and in the world. 
How many of you noticed that just by listening to it? Is there confusion over ordination? Is there confusion over sex and gender? Is there confusion over perversion? Is there confusion over the Bible? Is there confusion over the spirit of prophecy? Is there confusion? Are there mediums? Are there false prophets? Yes or no? Can you see why it's fruitful to understand the abomination that caused desolation? Now, let's look a little deeper. Let's look a little deeper. 2 Chronicles 36. 2 Chronicles 36. By the way, we could study for like two weeks just on this abomination that caused desolation, but I'm trying to have a shorter series. Verse 36. I mean, not verse 36. Uh, 2 Chronicles 36. And look now down there. Um, Verse 5 says they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 8 says the abominations were found written in the book of Kings. We just read 2 Kings, didn't we? So we looked at the abominations. And then 14 through 21. Moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. And the Lord... God of his fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers rising up early and sending them because they, he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place, but they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his word and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people and there was what? No remedy. They had so much abomination that there had to be what? Desolation. There was no remedy. Verse 17, now comes the desolation. Abominations mentioned, verse 14 through 16, now desolation. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. So that's an abomination that's in the house of the Lord, right? And they had no compassion on the young men or virgin or aged or weak, and he gave them all into his hand. And all the articles from the house of God, great and small, and treasures of the house of the Lord, and treasures of the king and his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. That's what we see in Daniel chapter 1, isn't it? And then he burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces with fire, destroyed all the precious possessions, and those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to them and his sons until the rule of the king of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Until the land had done what? Enjoyed her what? Sabbath. Remember in Kings it says they worship the sun. Remember, so they weren't listening to God, the God of the Sabbath. And here now they're being taken captive. Specifically, what really was the testing truth at the end was how they desecrated not just all those sexual things, not all those ordination things, not all those spirit of prophecy things, The Sabbath. When they forgot the Sabbath concerning the land and concerning their worship, that's when he said, your abomination is full. I will bring desolation. And you will lay desolate and keep the Sabbath for 70 years, the land will. How many think that's kind of interesting? Ezekiel 8, 7 through 16, which is Ezekiel's a contemporary of Daniel. 
Look at it. Ezekiel 8. Verse 7. He brought me to the door of the court. Well, let's look at verse 6. Son of man, do you see the abominations they are doing, the great abominations that the house of Israel commit here to make me go far from my sanctuary? Now turn and you will see greater abominations. So he brought me to the door of the court. When I looked, there was a hole in the wall. He said, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said, Come in and see the wicked abominations which they're doing there. And he went in and saw there every sort of creeping thing, abominable beast, all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, right? This is inside the holy place, yes? He sees all that. There he stood before me, 70 men. There stood before them, 70 men of elders of the house of Israel. And in their midst stood Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of the Lord do in the dark? Every, moon, every man in the room of his idols. They say the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. In other words, they really don't even believe. They're giving up on God even though they're priests. And what's it say? Verse 13. Turn again, and you will see greater abominations than they are doing. And you brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. So they were, you know, worshiping this fertility god. Same fertility kind of thing. And then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, and you will see greater abominations than these. And he brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar were 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord <coughs> and their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping the sun towards the east. So what is the abomination that's causing desolation? What are all those abominations? That's a whole list, but ultimately the thing that brings God down in wrath and the abomination comes, the desolation comes is what? Sunday worship. How many can see that? Sunday worship. So this is the abomination that caused desolation. When the first picture we get, Daniel. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, let the reader understand. Now let me ask you, is there any hope that you've heard in this message so far? Well, there was hope with Josiah, a young person who brought revival and reformation and saved a whole generation. And by the way, guess who grew up under Josiah? Daniel and his friends. They went to Josiah's church. And guess what they did? They went to Nebuchadnezzar's country, and they lived a holy life. We never find anything about them sinning. They lived in the face of corruption with God's Spirit. Daniel 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 is showing how it was that in the midst of the abominations that were causing desolation, they lived those lives. Can you say hallelujah to that? And I want to show you one other thing. Not, and then, other, then also, Josiah so cleaned things up, they could again have the Passover. Jesus could come in their midst. Remember, we saw that. But I want you to look at another passage that maybe you'll see in a new way. Jeremiah 29. Isaiah... Jeremiah 
Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. Now, this is the one I want you to see at first. Look at 11 first. Everybody memorizes this. I hear it all the time. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And everybody says, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's a wonderful text. Don't you love that text? But notice where the text is. What's the context of the text? Look at verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think to where he says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search with me with all your heart. And I will be found for you by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I've driven you. Look at that text. Where is that text? It's in Babylon. <laughs> That text is in Babylon. It's when they're in the midst of the muck. It's when they're in the midst of a terrible situation. And he says, guess what? There's going to be some faithful people in Babylon. And I'm going to be able to call them out of Babylon. And they're going to want to come out of Babylon. Hallelujah. There's some hope there, isn't there? Now, how do you get out of Babylon? Come back me to Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter 9. Let me show you some more hope. We've got to end with hope, right? Even though we're living at another time of abomination, and, and we also have a hint of desolation now happening. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. As we look at this type, we're looking for hope. What did God do with his people? Can he bring people out of a time when they're surrounded by abominations? Can he do that? Does he have a plan? Does he, does he offer you hope? Is there a Passover? <laughs> Are there people like Daniel? Is there a faithful remnant? Do you want to be a part of that faithful remnant? Are those people reading the Bible in the spirit of prophecy? And helping others? Now look at this. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Remember, we started out there looking how, verse 1, Jeremiah the prophet, the Lord through that, Jeremiah the prophet said he would accomplish 70 years and the desolations of Jerusalem, the abominations that caused their desolation. But Daniel starts praying and confessing. He says his sin and the sin of his people, but we never hear anything about what he specifically did. And notice these key verses, and I want you to say a phrase with me. This is a phrase I want you to take with you tonight. Here it is. To you, to us, to us, to you. Say that together with me. To you, to us, to us, to you. Can you say it on your own? To you, And you're saying, what, what, what is that? After he's praying, notice these phrases in verse 7. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. God is righteous. Every time we look at him, he's holy, he's perfect. And by beholding, we become changed. How many think we need to behold more of the righteousness of God? 
O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. By the way, it does not belong to you. It belongs to God. Righteousness belongs to you. But then notice, to you, to us, to us, to you, right? Let's look at to us. But to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and far off in the countries in which you've driven them because of their unfaithfulness that they have committed, and others because of their abominations and the desolations that came as a result. To you, to us, O Lord, verse 8, to us, belongs shame of face to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. So righteousness belongs to you, but to us, sin. To us, sin and shame. But praise God, it doesn't end there. Notice how it ends. Look at what it says next. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord God. We have not walked by his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. prophets. Um, is the whole idea there. Verse 10. But look at verse 9. To you, O Lord. Remember, to you is righteousness. Verse 7. To us, shame of face. To us, sin and shame of face. Now verse 9. <coughs> to the Lord our God belongs what? Mercy and forgiveness, though we rebelled against him. Look at this sandwich. Righteousness belongs to you. To us, shame of face. To us, abomination. To us, sin. But praise the Lord, his righteousness points out our sin, and he doesn't leave us there. If we turn to him, he gives us what? Forgiveness and mercy to you, to us, to us, to you. As we're preaching this message, in a time period where the signs of Christ's coming are all around us, how many of you want to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and say, you have pointed out the abominations in my life. I want to confess them like Daniel did. And I want to plead for your mercy. How many want to say that tonight? Look at verse 18. Daniel 9 is the foundation of the epistles. It's the foundation of Galatians. It's the foundation of Romans. Look at verse 18. Oh my God. Look at verse 17. Therefore our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is what? Desolate. Abomination that had caused desolation. And then, verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear and open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications to you because of our righteous deeds. Righteousness belongs to you, to us, shame of face, to us, sin. But because of your what? Great mercies. Can you see it summarized again? To you, righteousness to us sin to us sin to you mercy how many think there's some hope how many think there's some hope and the hope is not in you and the hope is not in me the only hope is in the righteousness of Christ and the only hope is in the mercy of our God When you see the abomination, 
of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Do we understand anything more fully about the abomination of desolation? Are there things that God is calling us to do as a result of the understanding? Should we recommit to reading the Bible, discovering it? Should we recommit to the spirit of prophecy? Should we recommit to not only reading it ourselves, but changing maybe our clothes? The king tore his clothes. Maybe we need to, <laughs> I'm not saying tear up our clothes, but maybe we need to be serious about things. The king talked to the leadership, that, uh, the people of his influence. The king began addressing things that needed to be changed in his life and in the life of his kingdom. Right? I mean, I think we, we might be called to do the same. The king got rid of false worship. The king recommitted to Sabbath worship. He recommitted to the Christ of the Passover. And he saw good in his days, and he raised a group of people that lived beyond him, a faithful remnant that witnessed in the midst of Babylon with success, by the way. Wow. Let's pray tonight as we close and ask the Lord to bless us. Father in heaven, Lord, the abominations of Stoke, spoken of by Daniel the prophet are the same abominations many times we struggle with in today's culture and even today's church. Lord, give us discerning eyes. Lord, help us to rediscover the presence and power of your word, presence and power of the spirit of prophecy. Cleanse our hearts and lives that we might have the Christ of the Passover within our lives. Oh Lord, righteousness belongs to you. Sin belongs to us. Sin and shame to us. But mercy also belongs to you. We plead your mercy. As you are our only hope. And give us a revelation of Christ. That we might reveal him to others. We pray in Christ's name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.